Well, thank you for tuning into the Bird Nerd Book Club. My name is Hannah. I'm your host, and I'm so excited to have Susan Myers with me today, whose book, The Bird Name Book, came out in November 2022 uh, by Princeton University Press. So, Susan, can you please tell us about yourself? Oh, well, first of all, thanks for inviting me to talk, Hannah. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm in Japan right now, leading uh, a tour in the middle of winter here, so it's uh uh, it's a bit nippy, but uh, it's been, uh, I've led the first one, just finished the first one, about to start the second one. It's been a really good trip so far. Um, yeah, I'm a bird tour leader for Wings, Birding Tours International, which is based in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, I've been working with uh, Wings for about 12 years now. I've been leading bird tours for over 20. And um yeah, I'm from Australia, as you can tell from my accent. I live in Melbourne. I have previously lived in Japan and in the US, in Seattle as well. Um, my field of expertise, I guess, is Asia. I mostly lead in uh, Southeast Asia and Japan. And when I'm not birding, I'm often out herping. That's my other great love, uh, snakes in particular. Uh, and I do a lot of photography, so yeah, both of birds and snakes and whatever else comes along. So that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Um, so, you know, I, I found your bird name book um, when it came out on Facebook. Everybody was posting about it uh, a couple years oh, ago. And nice. so <laughs> yeah, so I, I do have questions about bird names a lot. You know, when they, they pop up, it's like, oh, why is it called this or that? The other day I was reading a book that talked about um, so-and-so with the last name of Wren. And I was thinking, like, is that what Wrens are named for? So <laughs> what really sparked your interest in bird names to create this book? Oh, just what you said, my own curiosity, but also, you know, in, in over 20 years of leading tours, I've often had people come up and ask me, you know, what does this, you know, strange bird name like Euhena or Sibia, what does that mean? And um, so, you know, that prompted me to go and look them up and, oh, it's really interesting. But the other thing that struck me is nobody ever asks me, what does Wren mean and what does Eagle mean? You know, we just take those names for granted. And it's only when we're confronted with strange names like Gonalek or, you know, something like that, that we, we, you know, some people at least think about it. Where did that come from? And so it got me started and I started looking up things. And initially I was like, oh, I'll just make a website of this, you know, because people should be interested, I would think. And then I realized, oh, there's a book in this because there's a lot more to it. You know, as you've seen in the book, there's, you know, so much, um, history surrounding nearly all the names. There are fascinating quotes from, you know, as far back as the 900s relating to bird names. So that's uh, that's what prompted me. It's about 400 pages or so, and you have thousands mm. of entries. Um, this book was is truly an undertaking that I'm sure was a lot of dedicated time and effort. So how did you yeah. go about collecting all these entries and then researching them? Well, um, so first of all, I, I needed to collect all the, you know, the generic names because this isn't a book about every single full bird name. That would be impossible um, and probably, frankly, not very interesting, you know, <laughs> red-browed, whatever. Um, it's pretty obvious. Um, so, yeah, first of all, I had to collect all the so-called generic bird names, um, you know, gull, falcon, uh, wren, whatever. And uh, I did that using um, Cornell's Birds of the World. 
And then I also added um, a few other names that I thought would be interesting. For example, Lamagaya, which is no longer used, <coughs> excuse me, and um, Peregrine, even though it's Peregrine Falcon. So many people refer to them as just Peregrines that I thought, oh, I'll, I'll include that. Um, yeah, so, and then I um, started researching where the, where all the names came from, and there were, you know, many of them are pretty straightforward. But names that we, you know, as I said, take for granted, like Gull, for instance, uh, once you look into it, it's fascinating. There's, there's um, you know, quotes dating back from the 1400s using that, that name, and, um, yeah, just built on that. Uh, I used... Um, have you heard of the Biodiversity Heritage Library? It's an online resource where uh, libraries around the world have uploaded um, their PDFs of all their books relating to biodiversity. Um, huge. I thank them in the acknowledgements because it was, you know, so incredibly helpful. Um, fantastic resource. And then I, I also used various dictionaries, you know, from obscure, not obscure languages, I shouldn't say that, but uh, relatively small languages like Wolof and and things like that and ancient Greek uh, dictionaries, Old English, et cetera, et cetera. Lots of dictionaries. <laughs> yeah, and that's uh, what I think is so cool is that you have all these quotes in there of like the first time that the, the name has been used in written literature. And so was it from that heritage um, website that you collected some of those? The Biodiversity Heritage Library was probably my main resource. I did use a lot of others, but uh, as a single entity, that was my main resource, uh, you know, as the go-to because there's just um, so so much there. Yeah, yeah really incredible, and it's cool to see the history and the uh, of some of these things and how they've morphed over time. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, exactly, the changes in the names and, and then some of the old names that we used and... Um, you know, some names that started off for one type of bird and then was used for another. Penguin is a prime example of that. You know, that was used in the Northern Hemisphere for the uh, great orc to start with and now, you know, used for birds only found in the Southern Hemisphere. So, yeah, very interesting. So were there any bird names uh, that you found that you really weren't even able to find the entomology for? Etymology, sorry, not etymology. bugs. Etymology. <laughs> <laughs> the etymology. Um, yeah, uh, you know, there were quite a few that were sort of unclear, um, you know, in terms of where did that actually come from? Like the, the kingfisher is the prime example. There were like three, four, five different um, theories about where it came from. And there are quite a few like that. Um, penguin. Uh, you know, is another one that started off. There are many theories, but there's only, for that one, there's only one really clear answer, I think, but, you know, some may disagree. Um, and then, but the only one I really just couldn't figure out was um, pepper shrike, funnily enough, South American bird. And I asked some of my, uh, you know, South American uh, expert colleagues and they didn't really know either nobody seemed to really know you know shrike that that part of it's obvious it bears a superficial resemblance to shrikes from the old world uh, but the pepper part of it was a conundrum I couldn't figure out why that was so if anybody knows please <laughs> get in contact with me <laughs> yeah it'd be interesting to to find out if uh what the resources that you know you weren't able to find that would have that in yeah there. 
Yeah, maybe there's something hidden away, you know. There's so much. As you saw in the references, there's over 600 references that I used. So, <laughs> But there's probably some I missed. <laughs> so what were some of the most surprising histories that you uncovered? Um, yeah, so there were quite a few. Um, Dippo was one. Uh, you know, again, these are names we sort of take for granted and just assume that it means one thing. Um, so, so we might assume that it means, um, uh, you know, because they dip in the water. And actually it probably came from their habit of dipping their tails up and down. Um, and apparently it was a name that was invented because it used to be called the water oozel. Um, one of the main um books that I used as a resource was an old book from the 18, excuse me, the early 1800s by Newton. And apparently he invented the name Dipper for the water oozel. And um, there's a quote from um, Buick about, um, you know, that lends credence to that theory that it actually comes from it um, dipping in the water rather than dipping its tail up and down. Um, another one, oh, one that I really enjoyed was a um, African bushrike, the gonolek. And um, most people seem to think it was onomatopoeic, but it turns out um, I found a quote from um, 1770 saying that uh, the name came from Senegal and the Africans say that it means um, insect eater. And so I looked up the Senegalese language, Wolof, which I think I mentioned earlier, and I found that um, the the literal translation is gonor is insect and lek means to eat. So that was that was fun to find that out. Yeah. And um, yeah, there were so many. Uh, Budrigar was another one. You'd have to read that yourself. It's so long and complicated. It went through so many names, spellings, and everybody assumed oh, it's just an Aboriginal name for the bird. Um, and then it turns out uh, that there was a linguist who studied it, and he came to the conclusion that it's um, it's what they call a um, um, what do they call it a lone blend, which means that it's a mix of a combination of indigenous and foreign languages, and that the early Australian settlers just coined this word, um, and it probably came from a combination of one of the Aboriginal languages and a slang Australian word and was combined together. So that was really interesting. Yeah, it sounds like it. So before you you got into to this, uh, did you have a history as a linguist or a historian? No, I'm, uh, I haven't. Uh, I speak uh, Japanese and Indonesian, so I have an interest in languages and, you know, um, derivations and things, but um, I don't have any formal training uh, as, a, as a linguist, um, just an interest in words and an interest in birds that uh, coincided. <laughs> yeah, you must have really learned a lot about different languages and how they've evolved over time. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. Um, like I say, you know, some languages that I barely knew existed. <laughs> And also, um, you know, I, I had to look into a lot of the ancient Greek and Latin and um, Old and Middle English. Very, yeah, complicated stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned a couple of uh, of great histories. Do you have like a favorite obscure bird name? What's my favorite obscure bird name? That's a good question. Um, 
Again, I really like Gonalek. Yeah, that, that's a really nice one. Um, another one that I enjoyed researching was uh, Paraki. And it turns out that um, that should probably be pronounced Parake. Um, and it, it, the way we say it now, it stems from a spelling mistake made by Ridgeway, probably back in the um, early 1900s. And uh, it, that seems to have been picked up by some of these older birders, you know, who wrote into the Orc journal saying, oh, you know, Ridgeway made a mistake. <laughs> and it's been perpetuated ever since. So. That was that was fun to find that out. Um, yeah, that's that's a good point. You know, I I haven't I live in Oregon, so there's a lot of Lewis and Clark history around the area that I live in, and I haven't read their diaries. I haven't really researched it that much, but every once in a while, you'll go to a park and see a quote that was written by Clark from his diary, <laughs> and the spelling is just it it's bad. It's bad spelling. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, there's a lot of species that, that he either named or he learned the name from the Native American tribes that he interacted with. And it's amazing that we have the names we do today with some of the spelling that occurred, at least in his diary. Yeah, um, one of the uh, very early references that I use um, from the 1600s is by Ray and Willoughby, two famous very early English ornithologists. And they always wrote... Um, Back in those days, the S's were written like an F. So um, when they wrote about things like goat sucker, um, <laughs> it's a bit shocking. <laughs> the old name for the uh, night jars. <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that. That's, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a source of continual amusement for my little brain. I bet. <laughs> so you mentioned some very old bird names and I was trying to flip through and think of uh, like the, you know, the long history that humans have had with birds, especially in Europe and trying to figure out like the oldest references that you have in there and what would uh, what would be that. But what do you think are some of the oldest still active bird names that we have? Yeah. Um, so apparently the oldest um bird name still in use or, you know, probably ever is goose, um, which sort of makes sense because they were probably domesticated in uh, Europe even before, um, you know, chickens were. Keeping in mind that my book is about English bird names, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, and it, it's, um, they think it's a 3,000-year-old name that um, was um, first used in the reconstructed very early language from from 3000 years ago called proto-indo-european and um it started it came into english um as a proto-germanic name gans um g a n s so gander and and then um you know it morphed into the name we have today goose and it first appeared in the english language in the exeter book which is in the uh, dates from the 10th century so um, yeah, and that that was the oldest one I could find. There are other very old ones like eagle and falcon, you know, the ones you'd expect. Um, and then uh, again, if you read the introduction, I also talk about uh, the words uh, bird and fowl and where they originated. And that's um, uh, they're two very very old words, of course. And originally, we we didn't um, 
refer to birds as birds. They were called fowl, and birds were was the name for baby birds. Yeah, okay, that's all in the introduction to the book. Yeah, and for those you know, who want more detail. Your introduction has so much great information, not only about, you know, bird names and that, but also about just names themselves. And I think you had, uh, you had a handful of different kind of categories of birds, yeah. you know, birds named for people, birds named for the sound they make. Um, mm -hmm. that, that's all really inf interesting information that I never really had conceptualized before reading it. Mm. Yeah, uh, yeah, I really encourage people to read the introduction because um, even though I wrote it myself, I do think it's pretty interesting. Um, I go back and read it myself sometimes. Uh, oh, yeah, you know, oh, that's really interesting. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I list, um, I, I based it on, there's another really great book about bird names, but it's about the scientific na names, Jobling's um, Dictionary of Scientific Bird Names, and that was a great resource as well. Um and he listed uh, categories of bird names, and I sort of uh, took that concept and used it for um, for my book as well, for the common names. And, yeah, there are nine categories and maybe a tenth one as well, nicknames, which is an interesting uh, category for common bird names. So in this book, um, you cite some unusual references, like we mentioned, uh, with the, the Biodiversity Heritage Program. Um, yeah. For example, under Goal, you've written, and I'm quoting here, it appeared in a cookbook from 1450 with a comment that even the fishy goal was eaten. So yeah. cookbooks <laughs> seem to be a great source of information, but were there any other unexpected sources um, that you found these histories of names? Yeah, well, um, that one you mentioned comes from a 15th century cookbook. <laughs> and there were quite a few other birds mentioned in that, uh, quails and pheasants. And um, the, the interesting thing about um, pheasants is um, the uh, ringneck pheasant was, wasn't didn't originate in England. It was brought there by the Romans. And uh, you can sort of trace that history back through these cookbooks. Um so that was that was pretty interesting. Uh, there were a lot of so many interesting references. You know, every single one of them had had uh, sort of you know something about them that I found interesting. The, there's a recent one, um, a publication um, in a I can't remember what um, journal, but uh, Ashish Pitti uh, published a dictionary of scientific bird names originating from the Indian region, and that was. Um, that was eye-opening. Uh, some some of the names that you think might be derived from um, Hindi or Nepalese weren't, you know. Um, but, but and then others others obviously were. Cutia is an interesting one. It means um, in Nepalese, I think it means small hut, and it sort of describes the nest that the cutia uses. Um, what else? There was, yeah, a dictionary of South South African English, for instance, <laughs> gave me some insights into some bird names. Uh, yeah, so many. Um, yeah, I found, for instance, um, the word, uh, the bird name raven, which you might think has the same um, origin as, as names like, uh, words like ravenous or ravishing. Turns out that uh, it's not related to the bird name at all. And um, it comes, the word raven comes from a very old onomatopoeic word describing the call. Um, yeah, 
so so many I can't I can't <laughs> even think what all of them are. But um, yeah, the, I think some of those old um, uh, menus for feasts in uh, medieval England were some of the most entertaining ones. I bet. Yeah, I've I've read those in, in other books, too. And they'll yeah. just go on and on and on about, you know, a thousand quail and, you know, 500 uh, yeah. geese. And I, it's amazing yeah. the, the yeah. appetite these people had. Yeah, a hundred pheasants. And yeah, go. must have been a big meat fest. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, no vegetables ever mentioned. <laughs> Uh, so your book is a fantastic resource and reference guide for, you know, the different histories that we've had with species. And if anyone does have questions about how something was named in a particular way, you know, you have great resource for that. And I know I'll be flipping back to it again and again. And I'm just curious if you have anything else on the horizon. Um, well, when I when I first came out with the book, um, a friend of mine, John Hall, who is the world's biggest mammal lister, which is quite some feat, uh, he he suggested I do one for the mammals. So uh, I'm giving that a bit of thought. I've sort of made a bit of a start, but um, after after the sort of hiatus of COVID, I'm super busy again, so I don't have a lot of time. But um, I'll get around to it. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Um, was there any last thing you'd want to wanted to say about your book? Um, oh, I was just going to say, um, you know, in reference to the recent um, um, business of changing all all the bird names, the AOS. Um, this book is not about that. Um, so I just wanted to mention that if people think that I'm uh, talking about those names, um, I do have a chapter in the beginning about the the people called the namers, and that was about the the people who, um, uh, you know, in the main, not not all, but a lot of them coined these English names that we use today, um, and. I, I think that's still relevant and, and interesting, even if you disagree with the politics of it or whatever. Um, and I do urge everybody to read the introduction um, because I do talk about that issue. Uh, I touch lightly on it, but, um, yeah, it's it's not within the purview of this book. Yeah, thank you for clarifying that. It's um, like I said, it's a great read. The introduction, of course, uh, does have a lot of fascinating information and helps you um, go through the book, you know, with the the lens that it was written in. And yeah, yeah, I really appreciate you putting this out there because it's answered a lot of my questions that I've had as I've been birding. Well, I appreciate you uh, you uh, enjoying it. Uh, that's great. That that was my hope that people would read it and enjoy it and uh, um, enjoy the illustrations in it as well. Uh, I chose a, a mixture of photos and illustrations from some of the references that uh, we talked about earlier. Um, so uh, my hope is that people will find it a good looking book as well as a good reading book. <laughs> it definitely is. Well, thank you so much, Susan, for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Hannah. Yeah, really appreciate you uh, getting in contact with me and uh, talking to me. Thank you. So thank you so much for tuning into the Bird Nerd Book Club, and I appreciate you listening. So if you'd like to check me out on the socials, you can follow me at Hannah Goes Birdie on Instagram. My Twitter is at WomenBirdersHH, or you can email me at Hannah and Eric Go Birding at gmail.com. <laughs>